And this is the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast, episode number four. Home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Podcast. My name is Doug, and this week I want to talk about one of the biggest mistakes homeowners can make. This is a topic that I'm going to come back to from time to time, so this episode is essentially the first in a series, although the series isn't going to be back to back to back. I will be talking about other mistakes in the future, but the one mistake that I want to focus on this week is one that we've been accused of making ourselves. First, a little background. Our house has turned out to be a money pit. The previous owner did a lot of renovations and as it turns out, he did most of them wrong and he caused a lot of damage, a lot of expensive damage. And as we've uncovered his, um, his not so handy work, we have been faced with the stress and the expense of fixing up what he messed up. And that's cost us a lot of money, a lot of money. And we're not done yet. Now, whenever I complain about our situation, whenever I whine about the expense and the headaches that we've been living with for the last decade, I'm usually asked the same question. Did we not have a home inspection done before we bought the house? And the answer to that is, well, no, not really. Well, sort of. I'll explain later. But no, as far as a proper home inspection goes, we did not have one. At that point, any sympathy goes out the window. <laughs> what did we expect? Apparently, we deserve our situation because we made the mistake of not having a home inspection. So what exactly is a home inspection? If you go to nachi.org, and I do hope I'm pronouncing that right because if I'm not pronouncing it right, I'm going to be pronouncing it wrong through the whole episode. But it's N-A-C-H-I dot org. That's the website for the International Association of Certified Home Inspectors. They offer the following definition. A general home inspection is a non-invasive visual examination of the accessible areas of a residential property which is designed to identify defects within specific systems and components that are both observed and deemed material by the inspector. The scope of work may be modified by the client and inspector prior to the inspection process. Okay, so key words, non-invasive, visual inspection. Keep those in mind and also keep in mind deemed material by the inspector because some of this stuff is subjective. The licensing requirements for home inspectors vary from state to state and province to province. Some areas require that a home inspector be certified, while in other areas, anyone can hang their shingle as an inspector without any certification or training whatsoever. So, depending on where you live, it can be buyer beware. Fortunately, 
There are professional associations that lend credibility to the inspectors that belong to them, and of course that also benefits the consumer. There are a number of these associations, the big ones being ASHI, which is the American Society of Home Inspectors, CAPI or COPI or something like that, C-A-H-P-I, which is the Canadian Association of Home and Property Inspectors. And of course, I've already mentioned the International Association of Certified Home Inspectors or Internachi. And there are many others. For example, where I live in Ontario, Canada, we have the Ontario Association of Home Inspectors. So you can actually find home inspectors here that belong to three associations, the Ontario, the Canadian, and the international associations. The members of any of these associations are bound by a code of ethics and standards of practice. And these are all very similar from group to group. So let's take a look at the code of ethics on the Internachi website. You have the stuff that you would expect, like no discreditable conduct, being fair, impartial, acting in good faith, not discriminating on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, etc., etc., etc. In addition, the Internachi members shall not have any disclosed or undisclosed conflict of interest with the client. You don't have to worry about the inspector being bribed by anyone on the side of the seller in order to give a favorable report. And you don't have to worry about an inspector being recommended by a real estate agent or broker just because he paid them for the recommendation. There is to be no money or compensation flowing in either direction. When you hire a home inspector, the inspector works for you. The inspector cannot offer repair services for one year after the inspection, so you don't have to worry about the inspector finding problems just so he can offer to fix them in order to make more money. The member, the, the inspector, also has to comply with continuing education requirements and be tested once every three years. That way, you can be confident that an inspector who is a member of Internachi still knows his stuff and is current on new technologies. So that's the code of ethics. Pretty much what you might expect. Now, let's talk about the standards of practice. I already gave Internachi's definition of a home inspection, but there's a little bit more to it. The inspection is based on observations on the date of the inspection and is not a prediction of future conditions. And the general home inspection will not reveal every issue that exists or ever could exist but only those material defects observed on the date of the inspection. So what is a material defect? A material defect is a specific issue with a system or component of a residential property that may have significant adverse impact on the value of the property or that poses an unreasonable risk to people. The fact that a system or component is near at or beyond the end of its normal useful life is not in itself a material defect. So, a furnace that's 40 years old, when the average life expectancy of a furnace is about 25 years, that's not a defect. A furnace of any age that is not in working order is a material defect. Okay, so far so good, right? 
but then they get into the limitations and exclusions. An inspection is not technically exhaustive. It will not identify latent or concealed defects. A home inspection will not determine market value of a property, so no asking the inspector if the property is worth the selling price. It doesn't determine the insurability of the property or whether the purchase of the property is advisable or not. An inspection also does not determine the life expectancy of the property or any of its components. In other words, the inspector is not going to tell you that the roof is probably only going to last you a couple more years. There is a long list of things that the inspector is not required to determine. And these are actually labeled from A to S. Okay. Things like the size, capacity, BTU, performance, efficiency of any component or system. Or compliance with codes and regulations. Or the presence of mold, mildew, or fungus. Or even the presence of pests like rodents or insects. The inspector is not required to determine those things. Okay. So what this means, for example, is that in the course of the inspection, the inspector may come across, say, mouse droppings. But he is not specifically looking for these things, and he is not required to recognize that those tiny black pellets are actually mouse droppings. So later, if you find out that you have mice in the house, you can't hold the inspector responsible for not telling you. Okay. Then you have the whole list of stuff that the inspector is not required to do. And this list is labeled from A to Q. Things like moving stuff that might be in the way, dismantling or opening any system or component or doing anything that in the inspector's opinion might be unsafe or dangerous, such as walking on roof surfaces, climbing ladders, entering attic spaces, or negotiating with pets. All right, well, you can't blame him for avoiding Fido, but you kind of expect him to at least get up on a ladder to take a closer look at the roof. But all he has to do is view it from the ground level. The inspector also doesn't have to determine the age of construction or installation of any system, structure, or component of a building, or differentiate between original construction and subsequent additions, improvements, renovations, or replacements. So, information like the house is 50 years old with a 20-year-old addition and the foundation of the addition has structural cracks but the foundation of the original house still looks good, that's not information he has to provide. All he has to say is that there are cracks in the foundation. So now, with all the disclaimers out of the way, we can finally get to the standards of practice, which are broken down into the individual systems and components that the inspector actually inspects. These are the roof, the exterior, the basement crawl space foundation and structure, the heating, the cooling, the plumbing, the electrical, the fireplace, the attic, insulation and ventilation, and the doors, windows, and exterior. I'm not going to go through each of these. You can take a look for yourself, and the link will be on the show notes page at thumbandhammer.com slash four. Because this is 
episode number four. But to give you some idea, each of these sections is broken down into what the inspector does and what he is not required to do. For example, for heating. The inspector shall inspect the heating system using normal operating controls. The inspector shall describe the location of the thermostat for the heating system, the energy source, and the heating method. The inspector shall report as in need of correction any heating system that did not operate and if the heating system was deemed inaccessible. Okay. And then you have the list of things that the inspector is not required to do. Now, here's a couple of them. The inspector does not have to inspect or evaluate the interior of flues or chimneys, fire chambers, heat exchangers, combustion air systems, pressure intakes, humidifiers, dehumidifiers, electronic air filters, geothermal systems or solar heating systems, or inspect fuel tanks or underground or concealed fuel supply systems. So basically, the only thing that he has to report is that a house has, for example, a forced air gas furnace that is controlled by a thermostat in the main floor hallway, and it cycles on and off okay. Or at least it cycled on and off okay the day that he tried it. He does not have to determine the uniformity, temperature, flow, balance, distribution, size, capacity, BTU, or supply adequacy of the heating system. Okay, there's a lot of stuff in there, but what I just said is that he only has to determine whether or not the system works, not how well it works. And there are other exclusions as well. And it's basically the same pattern for other systems and components. The inspector only has to inspect a representative number of windows. What's a representative number? Eh, that's not defined, so I guess it's up to the inspector. He only has to be... Let me try that again. He only has to inspect the shingles from ground level. He doesn't have to determine the R value or material of the insulation. And he doesn't have to determine the adequacy of the ventilation. So, for example, he can tell you that you have four roof vents. Is that enough ventilation? Should you add another vent or two? That is not the inspector's job to determine. So after all these disclaimers and exclusions, what you are actually left with is a minimum set of standards. But most good home inspectors are going to exceed that minimum. A good home inspector is probably going to look at all the windows, even if the standards of practice don't require it. Remember the definition of a home inspection? There's the part about the inspector and the client being able to change and modify the scope of work. Well, the Ontario Association of Home Inspectors goes into a little greater detail than just that. This is what they say. These standards of practice are not intended to limit inspectors from including other inspection services, systems, or components in addition to those required by these standards of practice. So basically what I already said, here's the minimum, but the inspector is, the, the, the inspector is allowed to exceed that. The inspector is not limited from specifying repairs, provided that the inspector is appropriately qualified and willing to do so. A lot of inspectors have some background in construction or the trade, so if there is a deficiency, 
Even though the standards of practice don't require him to, the home inspector can go ahead and tell you how to go about repairing it. But of course, under the Code of Ethics, he still can't offer his own repair services. So he can, in fact, say that the roof has four vents, but it should have five. And the fifth one should be installed in this particular spot. But he can't offer to come back on the weekend and install it for you. And the inspector is not limited from excluding systems or components from the inspection if requested by the client. So if you know that you're going to end up replacing the furnace, you can tell the inspector not to bother inspecting the, the existing one. And he does not have to even though it is listed in the standards of practice. So, if you are hiring a home inspector, you should do some research. Find out if he or she is a member of one or more professional associations like ASHI or InterNACHI. That will at least guarantee a minimum set of standards and that's a pretty good starting point. Then it's up to you it's up to you to compare certified inspectors to find the one that best meets your needs. Because as you can see, there can be a lot of variation between the services offered by members of the same professional association. And with that, I am going to take a quick break. When I come back, I am going to talk about my own experience with the inspection of my first house and why we chose not to have our current house inspected. And finally, I'll explain why, even with all the limitations and disclaimers, it is a mistake, <laughs> a big mistake, not to get a home inspection. Hey, you know, whatever you're looking for, chances are you can find it at Amazon. The next time you shop at Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, or Amazon.co.uk, you can help support this podcast if you get there by clicking through one of the links at thumbandhammer.com. It won't cost you any extra. You get what you want, and I will earn a modest commission. We all win. You can find those links on the show notes page for this episode, and I thank you so much for your support. Welcome back. So, as I said before, people tend to judge me rather unsympathetically when I admit that we did not have a home inspection done on our current house. But that decision, for better or for worse, was not made in ignorance. Back in 1996, when I was purchasing my first house, I made the offer to purchase conditional on a satisfactory home inspection. This clause is pretty standard today, and most agents will write it into the contract automatically. But in 1996, there weren't a lot of people around where I live who were familiar with home inspections. I had to explain what it was to my real estate agent and he had to explain it to the seller's agent and the seller's agent had to explain it to the seller. At that time, there were only two inspectors in my area. So choosing one was essentially a case of, uh, <clears throat> eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Now, when you have a home inspection done, you are usually allowed to accompany the inspector. I did not. The seller and I were on different schedules and I decided not to give up a day's pay to take time off work to follow the inspector around the house. I mean, it kind of made sense to me at the time. I had lawyer's fees and moving expenses and appliance purchases all to consider. 
So I figured I needed all the money I could get and taking time off work just wasn't really an option. Kind of foolish now that I look back on it. Anyway, the inspector did his thing and then came by my apartment to drop off his report. The report contained some general information. He indicated the age of the furnace and stated the average life expectancy of that type of furnace. He commented on the visual condition of the roof and the age of the roof, which was provided by the seller, and the number of shingle layers. He then made a general statement about how the life expectancy of a roof is reduced when there are multiple layers of shingles. The kitchen lacked counter plugs, and the counter plugs in the kitchen needed to be ground fault circuit interrupters. The plug in the bathroom was ungrounded and should be rewired for ground fault circuit interrupter, and so forth. Now, after I moved in, I found a few things that the home inspector had missed. Even though he said there were no visible signs of water leaks in the basement, there was a rather obvious stain under one of the windows. But a more glaring problem was the fact that the fridge in the kitchen was plugged into an extension cord, which ran through a hole in the floor to the laundry room in the basement, where it was plugged into the same outlet as the washing machine. Each of these appliances need to be on their own dedicated circuits, not plugged into the same outlet. So, the inspector's not required to move the fridge, I understand that. But you would think that when he was in the basement, that he would have noticed the extension cord plugged into the same outlet as the washing machine, and he might have investigated that further, or at least asked the homeowner who was following him around during the inspection. I mean, th this outlet, this plug was zorched. There had been obvious arcing, and this was an extremely dangerous situation. Now, had I gone around with the inspector like I was allowed to do, would I have noticed? Would I have noticed that there was uh, another, was the, the, this extension cord plugged into the same outlet as the washing machine? I don't know. But anyway, the bottom line. In the end, I did not feel that I got my money's worth from the inspection. Now, when we were buying our current money pit, I was pretty confident that I had enough knowledge to do at least as good a job as the inspector of my first house. I had worked on my first house enough that I thought I had a pretty good understanding of the various systems and components. Hmm, kind of foolish now that I look back on it. We chose not to have a full formal home inspection for a number of reasons. First of all, I felt that I got burned on my first inspection. But I did not take into consideration that the landscape of home inspection had changed and that there was more competition and higher standards now. Even that first inspector that I hired before now had an additional seven years of experience under his belt. And I was really impressed by the home inspector that our buyer had hired. And I kind of wish that we had hired him ourselves, but by then it was too late. The second reason we did not have a home inspection was this perceived sense of competition. We did not want to lose out on the house, and by reducing the number of conditional clauses in our offer, we thought that we were making our offer more attractive than, say, 
someone else smarter than us who might have had that clause in there. But it's not like our backs were up against the wall. We were in no hurry to move. Our daughter was only one year old at the time, so we had three years to look for our perfect house before the school year would play any kind of role in the timing of a move. Plus, here's a news flash. The perfect house? <laughs> it doesn't exist. Other houses would come along. We may have had some regrets had we missed out on this one, but we would have got over them. And finally, old Dougie here was seeing dollar signs flying out the window. You see, we had an offer on another house a few months before this one, and that sale fell through. We were put on notice to remove our conditions within three days because the seller got another offer. Three days just wasn't enough time for us to sell our house, which was one of our conditions, and we certainly did not have the financial resources to own two houses at the same time, so we lost out on the house. Now, had we already gone ahead and had a home inspection done, that would have ended up being money spent for nothing. And $300 is no small amount of money to waste. So I, I, I had this vision. I had visions of other houses and other offers falling through after paying for home inspections. But let's put that in perspective. Not including improvements and upgrades. We are spending, between the money we've already spent and the money we're going to be spending, over $100,000 just to repair this house. Even if we ended up paying for 10 home inspections because for some reason nine sales fell through, $3,000 spent on inspections is a mere pittance in comparison to what we're spending to repair this house. But let me be clear here. We did not come into this house blind. Sure, we chose not to have a formal home inspection done, but we did shuffle a former home inspector, a hundred bucks in cash, to come with us when we took a second look. And we did turn up a few problems. The electrical was a bit of a mess, but that was in my wheelhouse, so I figured that I could handle it. The plumbing was ugly, but it appeared functional, and I figured it would just be a new challenge, a, a new learning opportunity for me. All the structural issues that we would find later, those were well hidden. Now, you have to remember that a home inspector is not going to poke holes in walls. Heck, he's not even required to move suspended ceiling panels. So I don't know if a full home inspection would have uncovered the problems we found when we started opening things up. That means that, you know, the supporting walls that were removed with no structure, the, uh, the oversized windows that were installed with no structure, the fact that the plumbing fixtures were vented directly into the attic, the overloaded electrical circuits, and oh, many other issues. Those might have still all gone undetected. But the addition, now, the addition had its own set of problems. And these were much more obvious to the trained eye. But you know what? We didn't even look at the addition. We, when we were looking at the house, we assumed that the addition was only 10 years old, so it's got to be in pretty good shape, right? Our focus was on the original house. 
kind of foolish now that I look back on it. A certified home inspector would not have ignored the addition and likely would have found issues with, you know, there, there, there were issues with the foundation and the electrical. And these are things that an inspector would have found easily. Actually, I could have found them easily if I looked. Okay, but we didn't even look. An inspector would have looked. The question is whether or not those findings would have been enough to deter us from making a purchase. To be honest, I can't say for sure, but I would like to think that all the problems presented together in a written report would have been sobering enough for us to walk away. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. The fact is that we had nothing to lose by having a full home inspection. What's $300 in the grand scheme of things, especially when it might have saved us more than a decade of stress and just an absolute financial nightmare. But woohoo, we saved 200 bucks. Kind of foolish now that I look back on it. Big mistake. Big mistake. Before I wrap up, I want to take a closer look at who can benefit from hiring a home inspector. Obviously, the buyer benefits. First of all, you get another set of eyeballs that are unbiased and not clouded by emotion. The home inspector is going to be objective because he has no skin in the game whether or not you buy the house. Making an offer to purchase conditional on a satisfactory home inspection puts the buyer in a position of power. It's up to you what you do with the information. You can choose to stay with your current offer and use the inspection report as a honey-do list. Or you can require the seller to make certain repairs. Or you can reduce your offer to reflect the repairs that you are going to have to make. Or in some circumstances, you can even choose to withdraw your offer and walk away. The key point here is that the offer to purchase can be modified based on the findings of a home inspection. Now, a quick side note. If a house has a septic system, that should be a separate inspection. It's not enough to know that a septic system exists. That's all a general home inspector is going to tell you. You really need to know the size and the location of the tank and the leach field, and you need to know that everything is functioning properly. This is important information to have if you ever plan to renovate or build a patio or a shed or add square footage to the house or even add another bathroom. There are required setbacks for the tank and the drain field. Adding square footage or plumbing fixtures might require you to upsize your tank. The septic may have been up to code when it was installed, but Codes change, and once you start renovating the inside, the septic system could potentially enter into the equation. For the record, a new septic system is going to cost us in the neighborhood of $25,000, so eh, this ain't chump change. Okay, so the buyer benefits from getting a home inspection. So does the seller. If you are selling a house, Getting a home inspection before putting your house on the market can reveal problems that can affect the value of the house or the ease of sale. For example, you may want to go ahead and replace the roof before it jeopardizes a potential sale. 
Plus, having the home inspection report could make your house more attractive to potential buyers because even if you don't make the repairs, it will appear to the buyer that you at least took the repairs into consideration when pricing the house. And if you do make the repairs, you have a paper trail that reflects pride of ownership. Problem identified, problem fixed. At the very least, you won't be blindsided if a sale falls through. Now, even if you own a house and you don't plan on moving, you might want to consider having a home inspection done, say, every five to ten years or so. We often become blind to some problems and we learn to ignore them. Or there might be problems that develop without our knowledge. A home inspector is going to bring serious issues to the forefront, providing a thorough honey-do list, if you will. And remember that a home inspector is not trying to sell you anything other than the inspection. You know, you should have your furnace inspected once a year. And you'll usually have a heating, ventilation, and air conditioning company perform that inspection for you because they'll both inspect and clean your system. And that's great. But eventually, they are going to want to try to sell you a new system. Yeah, everything looks great, but your furnace is getting old, and we have this promotion right now. A home inspector, on the other hand, has no system to sell. It might be worth spending a few hundred bucks for a second opinion and perhaps even uncover a more serious problem somewhere else that requires more immediate attention. A home inspection can help you prioritize your repairs. Just something to consider. Anyway, let me hold myself up as a shining example of what not to do or what not to not do or something like that. It may be tempting to forego a home inspection like we did in order to make an offer to purchase more desirable, but it's risky. And trust me, the risks just ain't worth it. Even if the home inspection fails to identify existing defects, it's still worth having one done because you at least increase the probability that those defects are going to be found. Not getting a home inspection is one of the biggest mistakes that you can make as a homeowner. And it's also one of the first, so not exactly the best way to start. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Thumb and Hammer Podcast. Visit the show notes page at thumbandhammer.com for more information and useful links about the topics covered in this episode and to leave your comments. And while you're at thumbandhammer.com, you can sign up for my mailing list. Or if you'd like to contact me directly by email or voicemail, you can do that too. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and please take a moment to leave a rating and review in iTunes. Thank you again for joining me. Until next time, work safe and take care. Cheers.